Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 91. Week 91, volume 91, fucking 91. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week's guest is John from Dead to Fall, and that will be coming up later in the show. So as we do now, we kick things off with our album of the week and single of the week. Firstly, album of the week, without a doubt, belongs to Fit for an Autopsy. They have recently unleashed their new album titled The Sea of Tragic Beasts. It's out through Nuclear Blast Records. And fucking hell, this band cannot put a foot wrong. Crushing slabs of brutality, wall-on-wall riffs, all-round amazing, excellent album delivered by the guys. Fit for an Autopsy now, I think, have reached almost the next tier level of heavy bands. This band, I think off the back of this album, if they haven't already off the back of their previous album, are now a big band in the heavy scene. They are a force to reckon with with this album. Out fucking standing. A definite, definite album at the top of the end of year lists. I really, really recommend this. If you love your crushing heavy fucking music, get on to this album. As I said, the album's called The Sea of Tragic Beasts. It's by Fit for an Autopsy. It's out now. Also, if you haven't heard our chat with Joe from Fit for an Autopsy, make sure you take some time this week. Delve back. He's one of our OG guests and he appeared on episode 40. So make sure you also scope that out. Now, our single of the week belongs to Greyhaven. The song is called A Match Where Great Fire Should Be, and it's out now through Equal Vision Records. The band have said it's a standalone single, and it's everything I wanted. It's epic, it's eerie, it's heavy, it's emotional, it's passionate, it's spine-chilling, and it just makes me want more music. So I'm saying, Greyhaven, this is a tease. Like I love that you've given me a new song, but I need some more. Excited where this band can go. I think they're a band that has outstanding potential. And this single, without a doubt, is the best of the week. Also, if you haven't heard our chat with Brent of Greyhaven, make sure you scope into that. That was episode 74. The only other thing I got to do at the start of the show is what I do every start of the show each week, each episode. And that's remind you guys to give us a rating or review, whether that's through iTunes podcasts, whether that's through our Facebook page, whatever it is, help us with a rating and review, helps the show grow, helps us get out to more listeners. The other thing I got to remind you guys, and it sounds really simple, it sounds a bit repetitive, but it is fucking vital, and that's share the podcast, whether that's on your Facebook page, whether that's on your Instagram, whether that's on your Twitter. Share, share, share. Tell people about the show. Tell us you enjoyed the show. You know, share it, tag us, all of that stuff. So help us out. Get on that share button. Only takes about mm, 15 seconds, maybe 30 tops. Real simple. Help us out. Give us a share. But that's enough of my jibber-jabber. That's enough of my ramblings. Let's kick things into gear and get into the part of the show we're all tuned into for. This week's guest is John from Dead to Fall. And first thing i got to say, 
You're a fucking legend, dude. Thank you so very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Now, Dead to Fall are one of those bands that I think a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, I think some people forgot about when the kind of metalcore slash Gothenburg core sound really took off. And I've always loved this band and I've always wanted to get John on the show. And I am stoked at the conversation we got recorded. It's in-depth, it's insightful, and it's entertaining. That chat with John is coming up now. So I always start with kind of um, a loose question, but usually the same one. Do you remember growing up uh, a musician or an artist that helped you discover music? Not necessarily a heavy band, but just like a band in general that might have been a bit poppy, a bit rock. Well, I mean, I could I could take it back to I mean, it's it's pretty easy for me to to figure out where the musicianship came from. My my father was a uh, or still he just retired actually, but he's a French horn player and he directed bands at universities and was a professor of music. Uh, and I definitely have a classical side. I played French horn in school, um, and then when I when Dead to Fall ended, that's what I went back to school for was for music. So I think my dad was kind of like the the. Uh, the first one to kind of influence me musically. Um, and that's where my musicianship came from. But like you talk about a band, not even necessarily a heavy band, but there were, there were bands, I think probably the first heavy band that I saw live that influenced me. Cause there was like, I could talk about the CDs and stuff I heard first, but the first live show I, I was like, Holy cow, this is nuts. Was seeing earth crisis in like 97 or 98. Ooh. Um, and I think they were opening for Downset oh. and Lord Isaac's band uh, from New York, uh, Crown of Thorns was on it. Fuck. And I can't remember the very first band, but there's there was another band. Maybe it was Hatebreed at that point, too, but I'm not sure. Wow. So, you know, it clearly that, that Earth Crisis set was one that was like, yeah, I was a skinny little vegetarian, straight edge kid, had seen a couple local hardcore shows. But that was at a place that fit a thousand people. And and people were going completely bananas. So I was like, "This is there's something else going on here." And from that point, did you like deep dive into that kind of music and scene, or was that um, kind of at that point you were already pretty deep into it? Yeah, I was pretty well hooked at that point. I think the the thing that turned me on to alternative stuff was in between eighth grade and ninth grade, which I don't know how that transfers. So like I don't know your the time when you're just about to turn 16, yeah, right? So I'm 15. I don't know if that's the same for you guys over there or not. No, it's it's uh, that's grade okay. 10. So like you can be, yeah. So I'm I'm 14, turning about to turn 15, or 15 about to turn 16. I can't remember which one, but I went and saw. I heard on the radio it was the very first Warp tour, and all my friends weren't allowed to go because we were just coming out of eighth grade, and it was one of those things you'd get dropped off at a parking lot outside of the arena where they had shows, and. uh that was the first time I saw a bunch of punk bands. Well, my dad dropped me off and was like, I'll pick you up at like, at like nine o'clock. And the thing ended at seven. <laughs> so for the last two hours, everybody was gone and they were breaking down the stages already. And I'm just this like, you know, 14, 15 year old kid hanging out, just sitting there. They, they gave you a bunch of thrasher magazines and, and CD samplers and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there and uh, Chaka who played in orange nine millimeter. And he was the singer of burn was skateboarding around and was like, Hey man, you shouldn't sit over here by yourself. I'm not sure it's safe. Like, we can't let you on the buses, but you should at least come hang out where everybody's outside. And it was like uh, this German punk band Viso, this band L7, 
Uh, Sublime was on the tour, but it gotten kicked off because the dude's dog had bit someone I'd heard. I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, then that dude from um, Orange Nine Millimeter, they were all kind of like hanging out skateboarding. I was just watching these like semi-legendary bands in and just hanging out, being regular people. Was uh, That was a cool experience. And I can drag it back one more because mm-hmm. I, apparently I, I'm going to talk about this a lot. Uh, the first show, concert, big band that like started heavy music for me was seeing Nine Inch Nails a uh, year before that on the Downward Spiral Tour. Wow. That, that's still one of my favorite bands of all time. So, I mean, clearly, you know, your musical education is pretty vast and varied. You you, you know, you mentioned about the um, what your dad was playing. I think you said French horn and stuff. I mean, what was it like? Yep, and that, was, that was my instrument as well. So what was it like in the house for you with music? Was it all about learning and kind of creating a musical, you know, taste for your own? Or was it your dad trying to gear you towards the classical side of things? I mean, he, being a musician, he worked a lot too. Like he he would teach lessons on top of being a professor. And um, he spent a lot of time when I was in high school working on music and definitely supported me in my classical music endeavors. Um, I was the second all state French hornist, which so like in the state of Illinois, cause we were from Chicago, I was the second best at this instrument in the state. Right. So I had a full ride to go to university, um, which, you know, was a fair amount of money at the time. And they were going to pay me basically to go to university, um, to play that. And I did that for a year and that's when dead to fall got signed. So at that point, there definitely was a falling out where he thought it was a dumb idea for me to drop out of school and go do this thing. Um, but growing up, like it, he, my dad stopped listening, listening to pop music in 1972, he says. Mm. So like everything for him was just classical music and he's, he's a pretty devout Christian. So there wasn't a lot of like secular popular music in our house growing up. So I definitely went, um, and I was homeschooled until sixth grade. So when I got to sixth grade, I quickly identified with the punks as I realized I didn't have any money to buy any name brand clothes and shopping at the thrift store was much better. Uh, and the punks were kind of the cool, cool kids in the sense that they were nice to me, even though I was kind of an outcast and I was kind of felt like an outcast. I can get to that later, but I've had the you know, the older you get, the more you realize that everyone feels that way, mm. especially in middle school, like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, everybody feels like they don't belong and everybody's just trying really hard to belong. Um, so, but that was kind of what drew me to punk music in itself was just this, it was a place for anybody. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, you know, as you said, they identify with that. Everyone's an outcast, but inside it, they don't feel like they're an outcast. They feel like they belong to something bigger and something welcoming. Right. Or at least everyone's always searching for that thing, mm. which is what the draw for religion. And I, I think the draw for the, the, especially the time frame, if, if you're in your mid to late thirties, you're probably experiencing it around the same. Um, the heavy music at that time wasn't on the radio and it was a very, there wasn't an internet to trade music back and forth. It was just like, the, I found something that makes me feel like I belong that nobody else knows about. Um, definitely had some allure to it. And I think a lot about like that quest to belong is, is a lot of people's journey, like trying to figure out where, where is my spot? Who do I belong with? And for some people, I think they only, it's, it's family is a lot of it. And having kids and, and moving forward in that part then becomes your own place to belong as your own family, at least hopefully in the ideal world. Yeah, but it sounds also like that with you, you were in many aspects trying to find somewhere to belong because you said you were, when you went to the Earth Crisis show, you were vegan and straight edge. So how did you get down those paths as a, you know, impressionable youth? <laughs> 
Uh, I, I, the Chicago scene at that point had a lot of people that were like passing out flyers and, and talking about what they believed in at the shows. So going to see shows in the year before I saw that Earth Crisis one, there was always somebody talking about something they believed in. Like uh, Race Trader was starting to pop up around then. There was a record label from Indianapolis, which was about three and a half hours away, called Catalyst Records that put out vegan straight edge records. And that was definitely a, a big part of the Chicago scene at the time. Um, and it kind of dragged me to also that at that point in my life, I was in eighth grade when a, a guy who was about two years older than me in school died of alcohol poisoning. And at that point, I kind of decided that I wanted to, I saw just the, the devastating impact that had on his family and all of his friends and everyone else around him. Um, me as, as somebody he was kind of nice to, uh, and that was the extent of our relationship. It wasn't like we were like super good friends, but he just, you know, I was a younger kid and he was nice to me. I thought that was cool. Um, but when, so when he died, I kind of took that to heart and decided that that wasn't going to be for me. And that was like the next 10 years of my life. I didn't drink till I was 24. Uh, and dead to fall was in between the second and third album was, uh, when I started drinking again. So, I mean, why, you know, without jumping too far forward, um, why did you decide to start drinking again? Cause that's quite a big decision. I mean, if you'd spent 10 years not doing it and avoiding it and deciding, you know, it's not for you, um, uh, what was the catalyst to, you know, start doing that? I guess I just kind of gave up. Like at that point everybody in the band was drinking and it was just like, I, I don't know. I don't believe in this anymore. This doesn't, this doesn't match with what I want out of my life. Um, and like everything I do, I did the, I did when I started drinking, I took it all the way off the deep end, uh, and drank a lot for a good couple of years, uh, feeling like maybe I needed to catch up on what everybody else had already gone through when they were like in their early twenties. Um, which, which I've, you know, tried to assess that some myself in the past and figuring that one out. But the, uh, the vegetarian vegan thing that kind of kept going. I think I stopped being vegetarian when I just couldn't afford to live where I was living. And I moved in with a family of a girl I was dating at the time and they ate meat and I wasn't going to turn down free food. So that was, that was when that started. And then life, uh, you know, you just kind of process different things. I think I still have a lot of respect. I try to eat vegan sometimes and try to eat healthy sometimes but it's not a a thing i feel like i need to label myself either of those labels anymore mm. vegan or straight edge and both communities i think at that time so we talk we were talking about that like quest to belong thing um finding out that you know once you decide you're not going to pursue that label anymore like you're ostracized from that group and people give you a hard time about it um which i, I kind of thought was dumb like if you're friends with me you're friends with me it I should have nothing to do with whatever belief structure we adhere ourselves to. But that was, uh, I kind of saw some hypocrisy in, in the way that it worked, I guess. It is. It's quite, um, you know, I know the same, you know, I was vegan for quite a few years and then decided to, you know, no longer because of health reasons I needed to, to stop. And it is quite interesting, like you said, suddenly, you know, you're seen as a martyr and a, an asshole for doing what you want because at the end of the day you started doing it for what you want um i think there's a lot of people also with you know if they're faith-based people that you know they decide to leave the faith they're also ostracized for the same things it's very strange yeah and we're i mean the where we live now i mean in the states I'm, i don't know if australia is going through the same thing but you guys probably see how divisive we are just on everything everybody believes becomes so important to who you are. Like I can't even be friends with you if you disagree with me. And like that, 
it kind of just rubs me the wrong way. Like, yeah, I guess you do seek out people who are like you to be friends with, but there is a, there's a part of one of your friends is your friend. They're your friend. Shouldn't really matter. You know? No, you guys definitely have it on a, a whole different level. The arguments that go on over there over, you know, politics or any kind of opinions is fucking insane. I don't know how you guys manage. <laughs> uh, we, we, yeah, I don't either. Fuck. <laughs> it's, that's, it's pretty insane. Um, and, you know, I, I adhere to one particular set of beliefs like everybody else does, but it is, it is. I don't know. There needs to be some healing for sure between some people. And I'm trying to do my best to just be respectful of somebody regardless of what they believe. Yeah, I think uh, I... the place I got to draw the line, though, is if you're a Nazi. If you're a Nazi, yeah. I just feel no nothing besides I want to punch you in the face. Yeah, I, I think that's I think a lot of people listening would agree with that. Um, hopefully, eventually, everyone will come together yeah. and just learn to uh, just kind of accept um, and allow others to have other sides and other thoughts. Um I want to steer back to go back a little bit with high school and the end of high school, sure. and how you were mentioning, um, you know, all of this French horn business and also kind of dead to fall going on. What was it like in high school and uh, with your heavy music kind of path? I mean, you've got this French horn stuff going on. You're clearly fucking good at it, as you were saying, with your positioning and scholarships and all of this so where did playing heavy music come into with the french horn like what was going on for you like were you in bands before dead to fall what was the scenario oh yeah i mean i let's see i my first band was called doc magi and we did a bunch of covers of like led zeppelin songs and then we did a deftone song um, I sang in it. I think I tried to rap a Buster Rhymes song. It was really, really bad. Uh, and then, like, after that, um, Brian and I started a band called Stalemate that was put, like, a tape, and we were on a, a compilation. And Dead to Fall was around in a different incarnation before I was in the band. There was a band called Disillusion that had two singers, and they were kind of like a rap metal band. Anton played guitar, Justin played bass, and Dan played drums. Two guys, Aaron and Andy, sang in that band that band kind of broke up and they added Brian into the mix and called it dead to fall with the number two instead of the T O they put out a tape. Then one of the dudes quit. And then another dude quit to join the band and this day when they lost their two singers at that point, for some reason, everybody's band had two singers, <laughs> but then I uh, joined dead to fall at that point. And so this was, I would say my like 98, 90, 99, maybe 2000 is I think the in between 99, and 2000 winters when I joined, and they were playing starting like 98, 99. So they were around for almost a year before I joined the band. Um, we did a demo and we, we were doing stuff like playing weekends out with seven angels, seven plagues. And then this day we were doing uh, wherever somebody would let us play a show. We'd play a show. We weren't having the greatest time getting on shows in Chicago. Cause it was a, we were from the suburbs and it was a little bit different of a scene in the city in the sense that we were much younger than most of the people were playing music in the city. So we would just go out and play like around the Midwest until uh, we started playing in Chicago more a couple of years after that. But then when I went to university, it was around the same time we, we did our first longer tour. And then uh, the Victory Records got in, interested and we made the decision that I was going to drop out of school. Brian was going to drop out of school. Other dudes were going to quit their jobs and we were just going to tour full time and try to make the thing work. There was a moment I was at university. I was walking to what class was it? 
uh, geology, like geology 101, learning about, you know, the earth and the minerals within the earth and that stuff. So I'm walking to class and I'm listening to this band, Year of Our Lord. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them at all, mm. um, but they're kind of like a black metal band that has some breakdowny kind of stuff to it. But I'm listening to it on my, you know, big Sony disc man walking around <laughs> Northern Illinois University. And I just like walked past class because I just got really ingrained in the music. And Dead to Fall kind of not done anything for two or three months at that point while I was at school. And I remember calling Dan when I got back to my dorm and just being like, dude, I think we need to do this. Let's just go for it. And so he sold his Jeep and bought like a, a mini bus. And it was like a little, we formed it out with a, a big old bed in the back. And we would just like drive around, and play shows. And that's what got Victory interested was they just saw us doing that. And they were from the same city we were. So that helped out. But yeah, at some point there was a decision. And we were like, all right, everybody's on board. Uh, so it was Brian, Dan, Justin, myself, and Anton just decided to tour. But Anton then couldn't. That's when the member changes really started because Anton couldn't uh, tour. He, he just financially couldn't do it. He was kind of living on his own already at that point and uh, had some obligations he couldn't fulfill. So that was the first time he left the band. And I can tell you more about how he's been in the band four times. <laughs> four times. Yeah, he's been back so many times. Yeah. <laughs> so he came back then to do the first album because Matt Hartman quit. Then he came back and did Villainy and Virtue and helped write that album because Seth had quit. And then he came back. The, when we did the last show, that's the last show, and I can say in quotation marks, in 2008 or 2009. Um, and then he came back when we started this reincarnation of it is the original member. So it's like everybody from that, like, all went to high school together. Um, we all piled together in that time, in that little mini bus that we had. And, and those are the dudes that are doing the band now. But Dead to Fall was notorious for member changers. I think we counted, it was almost like 20 people had played in Dead to Fall by the time it was done. Fuck. Um, it's got that that decision though that you made is quite a um really roll of the dice if you look at it because in many ways your path with the French horn and scholarship and everything looks very mapped out and you're willing to drop it all to go and basically live in a van for months on end with a couple other dudes smelling each other's farts. It's quite a decision. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's that that glory of like, I'm going to get to go out and play the music that we wrote together and go see the entire country and the world, basically, and, and get to do all these things. But the school will always be there. Um, mm. Granted, when I went back, I had to pay for it. I didn't get the, the tuition waiver anymore, but back to school in, uh, in 2010, that's what I went back to school for. So, I mean, it's always there. It was just kind of like this touring thing will not always be there. So yeah. it, it seemed easy for me to make the decision in hindsight. Yeah. It's like, wow, like that was a, that was a bold decision, you know, but at the time it, it, I didn't see any other way of doing it. It was kind of like uh, that goal, that goal. Yes. And, and I think that's part of, you know, um, you have to take those risks for every risk is the reward and you have to also do what you want. And if you want to achieve it, you've got to go for it with your voice. Yeah. You know, how are you learning? Because for anyone listening, that's um, of the younger generation, they've now got YouTube. They've got all this Melissa cross. They've got all these people that show them how to scream and techniques and all of this, but people our age, it was a whole different ball game. As you said, no internet, none of this stuff. So how are you at the start uh, learning to scream? How are you teaching yourself? 
I mean, I really wasn't. At first, I was just screaming as loud as I possibly could because I wanted that really emotional, voice-cracking kind of sound. Um, but I think knowing how to sing and, and growing up always singing, and I mean, I was in chorus all through school and everything else. So being part of like having a musical background helped me know, understanding what your diaphragm is and how to bounce the air off your soft palate. Those terms weren't foreign to me. Um, and when I thought more about applying them, like the most across stuff is, it's completely logical and it makes perfect sense. Um, I, I like some of her warmups and I don't think, I think when I started touring, I paid more attention to what you're doing every single day to try to make that, you know, stay steady. So you don't lose your voice, but the, um, the like playing shows every weekend or doing one show every couple of weeks, you don't really think about it too much. Um, I don't really think I started to think about tone and quality of voice as an instrument, until about when we started recording demos because um, I could hear myself back. And then it's kind of about dialing it back to 70, 80% of what you're trying to do instead of blasting a full 120%. So like sitting back and, and letting the air, letting the air decide, you know, like being able to control and, and letting your, your, your core dictate where the sound is coming out from and trying not to sing from your throat. Because that's where I think a lot of people do damage is that kind of high cackly black metal squelch, which can happen at times. But, you know, there's guys who've definitely tossed their voices by doing that. Yeah. And that's the thing. You, you know, your knowledge and previous skill um, worked towards you, worked for you. Um, what was it like for you? Sure. What was it like for you guys with the band? Um, because, you know, I think the landscape of music at that time was really interesting because you guys were doing something that not a lot of other bands were doing, but when you started doing it with, let's say, three other bands maybe, if that, um, it suddenly became a couple of years later pretty um, well adapted. Everyone started to try and replicate it. What was it like for you guys with trying to achieve that sound or that sound that you did achieve? Were you aiming for it? Because it was unique. It was um, Swedish melodic death mixed with kind of like um, a Shadows Fall feeling, kind of a Darkest Hour feeling. It was different at the time in, you know, uh, 99 to 2002. Well, and I think the thing, I mean, it was that blend, right, of, of, of metal and hardcore, which I remember when people started calling something metalcore, I was just like, oh, that, that term, just come on, seriously, like, don't call us metalcore, that's, that's just a terrible word for things, like, we're metal, like, it's not, their metalcore is not a thing, um, but apparently it is a thing, like, it's now an entire genre, right, so... I, I don't know if it's still, it still has the same when people say metalcore. I'm like, oh, no, nah, come on. <laughs> but at the same time, you have to, you have to uh, admit, like, I think because I came more from the hardcore background um, and the other dudes were definitely more metalheads, there was a blend there of like, you know, we had breakdowns and we had mosh parts that were more of a hardcore vibe. And I think some of my vocals and, and lyrics sometimes lean themselves a little more in a hardcore direction than in a metal direction. But we, I mean, we we loved In Flames at the gates. Those bands, um, Dark Sour, it was always been a great band to to see live and play with. Um, the Shadows Fall. You had, uh, I mean, Killswitch was starting to do stuff around then, uh, and that they came out of that Shadows Fall. And there was another band that was like from the same area that Killswitch came out of. I can't remember what they were called. They never really came around Chicago much. But every scene also at that time. 
Like I talk about um, Minneapolis, which was eight hours from Chicago. They had a scene that felt like it was a little bubble because they're eight hours away from every other major city. So it's, you know, they had, they had things going on up there with bands that was very different than what was going on in Milwaukee. That was different than what was going on in Chicago. And every scene had its own little identity. Um, and we didn't really fit into any of them. So we always kind of like, we could play metal shows and we could play hardcore shows, but where we lived in the the county, in the area we lived in, like kind of like the hundred, uh, not hundred miles, but 50 miles around us. If if you had a band and somebody played music, then they could play a show with you. So we'd have a show that would be like us, a ska band, a punk band, uh, a rap core band, and then something else like playing. It would just be, there wouldn't be all bands from the same genre necessarily. Um, which I think just made us more emboldened to kind of play. Um, some all of you guys were a bit different. You know, you had hardcore. Um, someone else was a bit in onto the gritty side of things. You know, everyone was kind of bringing yeah. different elements. And I think that kind of you know leaned itself towards listening to things and and it coming out from. You can hear sometimes there's a Brian song and there's more of an Anton song or more of a Justin song, uh, and and then it kind of ended up blending more together over time. Um, Anton's definitely writing a lot of the stuff now, and it's really interesting to listen to where he's at musically now compared to then. It doesn't, it sounds like Dead to Fall, but it's different. So, um, it's, you know, like we've been talking about like, what is that sound? And then at the same time, I don't know if we were ever really going for a sound. It's kind of just like, let's just write songs we like. And if we like it, cool. It's not like we had this aesthetic that we were aiming towards and we sat down and had a board meeting to decide how to get there and just kind of people wrote riffs and they sounded sick. We put them together with other sick sounding riffs and like the song eternal gates of hell that was written in Dan's grandma's house about a month before we went to record the first album in two or three hours. Like Anton came in with some riffs and we were just like, no, 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 now do that part. Yeah, that part. And then like next thing you know, the song was done. And, um, that's, that was like our, the, the song off the first album. I think we, we probably got, had the most, uh, attention paid to it. Um, but the, the lyrics in that song are entirely based on an experience Anton had. Um, he was going through a toll booth trying to pay uh, on the highway, pay money to go down the toll. And he had cash in his hand. He had coins. And he was going, he thought he could get a receipt for it and write it off on his taxes, which you can't, but he thought you could at that time. So he was going to work and trying to get a receipt for the toll he was paying. And this lady in the toll booth was like spazzing out, like rocking back and forth. Uh, she's talking to herself, making crazy faces like she was on something. He's getting closer and closer, and she's like, he can hear her. She's yelling at people. And so then uh, he hands her the, the coins and says, uh, can I get a receipt? And she just screams, and then I saw the blood coming at, his, at him, and he like <laughs> kind of got freaked out and took off. So the lyrics are, I paid my weight in silver and gold and asked for it in writing. She looked at me with fearful eyes and said, and then I saw the blood coming. So like the whole <laughs> thing's kind of like a joke about this toll booth experience that happened right before we wrote the song. But I've had people come up to me and be like, dude, that, that song really meant a lot to me. Like, it, it meant, like, I paid my weight. And it doesn't matter what anybody says. Like, it's down in writing, and I've done it. And they, like, interpret the lyrics to mean this this grandiose thing that they got out of it, um, which is so cool like, that it might be about something completely different that I wrote. And then this other person would read those lyrics and get something out of it that had value to them, which is, <laughs> you know, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. Uh, but that, I think that's what the power of music can be was you know that sound that you were doing you know you mentioned and i also mentioned a few bands that were doing it did you feel um it was people were getting into it like 
you look at the first album you guys did, Everything I Touched Falls to Pieces, that one kind of felt like it had a little bit of success, but it kind of went under the radar. And then by the time you guys are doing Villainy and Virtue, that sound is kind of blown up. And for someone that's a fan of the band, it kind of felt like people had missed you guys. They'd kind of jumped ahead without coming back to the start. Well, yeah, I I felt like we played metal shows and we were too hardcore and we played hardcore shows and we were too metal and there weren't metalcore shows at that point. So it kind of, I always felt like, especially that first album, we did tours, we did a tour with Incantation and, um, uh, it was Vehemence and, and, uh, Decapitated Oof. and, uh, that was, that was a sick metal tour, but like they, we did not go over well. Uh, we did a tour with Caliban, the Red Cord and Life Ones Lost. That was our first like bigger tour we did. And we opened that one, but then it was still just like those shows weren't all that big, considering that was Caliban's second time in the U.S. Um, and Red Cord and Life Ones Lost were just putting out their first full lengths. So I mean, I think we played like storage spaces, and and we played, uh, you know, like little tiny hole in the walls kind of places on that tour. But then Villainy Virtue, we got a couple opportunities to play some decent tours, but it did always feel like there was a, a club on the east coast that we could never break into as well like bands going on tour with each other and we kind of got passed over considering we were from the midwest but that's not uh something i i think to fault for because what it resulted in was that we would do these tours that was just us headlining and three or four local bands um because we couldn't get on a tour tour and uh like a, a bunch of touring packages tour so we would just tour on our own, but that produced this like ability to to meet people and and connect with with different localities and smaller what they call smaller markets, I guess secondary markets, um, smaller cities, where people would just like be like, holy shit, you guys are awesome, and like you're you know we connect with the people that were there, and then next time we go back, there'd be like twenty more people, and next time you go back, there'd be forty more people, and you just build that following slowly and surely, um, and I think it took probably until the third maybe in between the third and fourth album for that to really sink in that that was the best way to do it and it was like i would do stuff like uh napster was around back then i would find this is probably before the first album came out but i would find people on napster that had darkest hour songs and i would be like hey you like this band you would like my band you should download it off of my folder <laughs> and and harass people to like listen to us and go to shows with a stack of demo tapes and just demand people buy them uh, it, but that was that was the other part of it was just trying to get your music in people's hands, you know. Yeah, but you you know you touched on in there about you know building the following. I think you know you look now anyone that knows Dead to Fall or discovered you guys while it was going on, they still love you to this day. And I think a lot of people also think that the band uh, was and is kind of underrated. Um, I feel like you guys were never quite given a big opportunity i know it might be different from the inside but from the outside looking in it looked like that you guys were always close to you know getting to the ceiling but you were never quite there and i don't know whether that was lack of label backing it was the lack of the touring kind of thing that you said but was was that something going on you felt like you were almost there but never quite there uh yeah i can you pretty much hit the nail on the head with that one. That the song "Doomed to Failure" on Phoenix Storm is kind of about that because that's BTF "Dead to Fall, Doomed to Fail." Uh, it was like it's just never going to happen. Um, frustrating being on a label it signed the like a tray you signed right around the same time we signed a victory. So watching the amount of money they dumped into that band because they had singing parts and were a little bit more palatable, I guess, to the, the West Coast audiences. 
Um, but I mean, you know, I just saw that interview where they said they invented middle four, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, I do have really great things to say about Alex. Uh, I was in Barcelona with my wife a couple of years ago and we walked by a venue and a tray was playing and I was like, Holy shit, a tray is playing. And, and Alex and Brandon came out and, and said, what's up and took a picture of me and hung out for a minute and remembered us touring together back in the day. And we, we, you know, reminisced for a moment, which was cool. Um, so, I mean, I don't have anything personally against those guys, but watching them get a lot of label support and getting bought onto tours while, we were kind of forgotten and chipping away on our own um, was definitely frustrating at the time. But at the same time, I don't know if the band would have ever been able to do anything if it hadn't been for some victory backing. Yeah. I mean, did that, did that in any way kind of bring a sense of uh, resentment? Because you look at the way you guys were on those first three releases and then you come into what's currently the most recent and I say most recent and it's ele- it's a el- it's 11 <laughs> yeah. years ago um are you serious right, exactly. um are you serious seems like you guys went into that album and kind of released it with a um a lot more humor i mean i know you were a band that always had a bit of humor but also it was kind of like we just don't give a fuck anymore like take it what it is if you like 100%, it you like it exactly so, like, anytime something bad would happen, somebody in the band would be like, are you serious right now? Like, seriously, this is happening right now? Um, like, whether it's the van breaking down or whatever. So, are you serious was just this kind of thing we always said. Um, and when somebody was like, we should name the album that, I was like, that's that's the worst idea ever, but I love it. Um, so, it, it definitely was like, we don't give a shit anymore. And I think we all knew the band was done. We broke up, like, I think a week after it came out. It was That was when the infamous fight that we all got mad at each other and the band never continue on past that point until the original guys started playing because at that point i was the only member left from the first or second album so wow. the third and fourth album are almost a completely different band you can kind of tell too by the way the songs sound there you know logan being the primary songwriter versus anton being the primary songwriter but yeah are you serious was definitely a uh we just don't give a shit anymore we're just going to do this but whatever we want to do is what we're going to do but ironically enough, that was the first time I felt like my vocals were properly produced and we had time in the studio, not like, a, hey, dude, you have one day to max to, or two days to knock out all your vocals. It's like a real like, hey, what do you think we should do here? What do you think we should do here? Um, and trying some different vocal techniques and ideas. Um, but which so that is ironic. That it was kind of the album I was less concerned about as we were doing it. But I felt like it had the best um, at least perspective on being able to produce vocals it also has you know the the amount of humor in it with song titles like uh stupid major rager loch ness crop grower doom box i mean those songs and the lyrics in there are so tongue-in-cheek and um was was that also a thing that you were worried that people maybe didn't know if this band was being serious or not because you know are you serious but you know was it a a worrying thing of like um maybe just no one's going to give a shit i i I just don't think we care like if somebody i mean nobody was taking us seriously to begin with so like what's the point let's just let's just do what we do um i mean you mentioned some of those songs definitely stupid is you know humorous and major rager was kind of like uh, a take on what we were trying to do every night after we played shows. But like Loch Ness was, Logan wrote that song about some, some real depression that he was going through. Uh, Doombox was a terrible idea for a song Chad wanted to write, uh, which was 
about his ex-girlfriend's vagina that was currently Logan's girlfriend. Um, so, and then I had to sing it. It was, I can't think of something more awkward than that. It was the worst idea ever. Uh, then there's, I mean, there's a song about our van being a metaphor for the band. Um, it, so it's like, he's just saying like, we're so tired and we're sick and tired of this shit. And so is the van. It can't even go fast anymore. Neither can we. Um, so, I mean, there's, I, you're, you're seeing there was definitely a, I don't give a shit as much in this, but there was also like letting some of the other guys write lyrics was something I'd never done before. So that was cool. Um, doing that album and seeing like where we were mentally and the, the mental things we were going through at that time. I wish that we would have been able to take a step back and everybody get out of each other's faces and, and just realize how lucky we were to have that opportunity. But it, uh, the, the drama and like the, the thing I just mentioned about Doombox definitely affected the band more than we probably should have. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing about Doombox and, you know, you mentioned a big fight and, you know, I, I remember at the time I think there was a, you know, statement put out that it was uh, financial and personal reasons for the breakup. Um, what yeah. was, what was, you know, don't get into the personal stuff because that is what it is and you've kind of loosely tapped on it already. But financially, um, what was that about? Was it the fact that, you know, A, no label support and B, that people sometimes forget that you are making money on the fucking road and you're doing this for, what, at this stage, probably seven, eight years or something? Yeah, I mean, uh, full-time for six at that point, um, maybe seven. But yeah, there was, it was like a, I had amassed a fair amount of credit card debt. We owed a lot of debt to uh, our merch company who had fronted us some merch for a tour that we didn't, we had to end up paying for our trailer to be repaired on. So we couldn't pay the merch back. Um, so we, we were, and it was all personally on my social security number. So it was my personal debt, not as a business debt, which was definitely a mistake. Um, we should have done it as a business and been able to, to back out that way. But then the personal stuff, which, I mean, it's, that's, I'm talking a decade ago at this point, um, everybody has squashed all those things and, the first um, thing that brought Dead to Fall back was those guys from that era wanting to do that Darkest Hour um, Undoing Ruin Anniversary Tour. Um, and we did the East Coast shows with the lineup that was filled, the Are You Serious lineup. Um, with a, and then we had original members who guest appearances in Chicago and Atlanta for the, uh, the original songs that we played. And then that kind of, we did one more set of shows in California with those guys and then nothing really happened. Uh, and in victory wanted to print the vinyl for the first album. And then that's how the, who is now dead to fall is the original guys. Cause the more I thought about it too, I was like, this was the dudes that started the band with me. The guys I went to high school with my, my like compadres, if you will. Like these are the guys I want to visit when I go on vacation. And I had moved to Florida at that point. Cause that's where two of them lived. So, I mean, it was, if I was going to be in a band with anybody, it would be those guys. So being able to bring that back and, and we now get to hang out more, which is cool. Have you also kind uh, of sorry? Go ahead. Have you also kind of reignited um, the passion for it? Because surely, stepping away that that breakup time you said two thousand eight, two thousand nine ish, and then that reunion I think that was twenty fifteen. I think um, was in that period. Was it all about you know not only amending problems and coming together and figuring it out, but also about kind of wanting to do it had you got to the stage where you just didn't want to do it anymore um i mean there, there there's a difference between the way it's being done now 
and the um, I can't afford a door to close. I don't have anywhere to live. I'm trying to do this and only this, as opposed to now, like everyone has a job and we try to do this when we can on a weekend. Um, we try to work on music when we can, which makes the process like we wanted to put an album out last year. Um, but it is, it's just the way it is. We have seven songs done. And so we're chipping away at them. And then we may not, they, they may not even make it onto a full length album at that point. By the time we finish song 10, maybe we want to get rid of a couple of them and start over and only put out a couple songs. But we're, uh, we're in the process of just working out what it's going to be, but it is definitely now, like when we do it, it's about doing it together with your friends and doing it for, for fun. Um, and like you said, that passion of just being able to get on stage and, and let it all loose has definitely come back now. Like I'm feeling more of that, like what I felt in the, in the very beginning, that release when you're performing and, and being able to write down how you feel about things and, and then just yell it at the top of your lungs and people actually listen. Like that's a, that's a pretty rare thing. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to have that opportunity as opposed to being resentful of anything else not working out. So how is the turnout for you guys? You know, you play occasional shows here and there. Um, are you finding that um, people are rocking up? People do give a shit that Dead to Fall are playing a show in their local city? I mean, I think we have, out of maybe we've done 20 shows since we've been back, not including the 2015 shows, um, but almost every single one is sold out or gotten close to it being that we try to play in a venue that's appropriately sized and make it more of an event as opposed to just rolling through on tour to play a couple songs like, Hey, let's call up some bands that we used to play with around there and see if they want to do a reunion or let's, let's make it something interesting as opposed and something that people want to leave their house for because the people, like you said, they can't, they still like us and, and have a fond place in their hearts for us. They, they have kids and they have jobs now. So for them to get a babysitter and put that all aside and come out again and hang out, is a uh you know it has to be something worthwhile um and not just trying to play a show for the sake of playing a show so that's definitely been helpful chicago is always very good to us i mean i can't i can't say anything bad about chicago like they the fact that like four or five hundred kids would they can't i keep calling them kids four four (laughs) or five hundred now adults they're no longer kids um kid would come out to a show and and you know let their hangovers ride out the next morning is a uh, is a good time and and I and it feels like you're back together with your family and your friends and a lot of like sometimes no time has passed even though everyone has gray hair now. <laughs> what about um what about that new material you mentioned in there earlier? You know, um, is it are you going to shop it around to a label or are you going to release it independently? And then the other part of that question or the second part is. Are we going to see it soon? Like, what are we waiting on? Like, how long are we going to wait? It's been eleven years. Uh, I think. I think right now it's. It's. I'm starting to get over this. Like, it's been eleven years. So if we're going to put something out, it's got to be good. Mm. Um, because there's just so much music to listen to now that, like, it's it's not the same as 2002, where you can put a demo out and you're unique. I mean, there's you know there's a half a dozen guys at this exact moment in their rooms by themselves doing the drums, bass, guitars, and vocals for music. That's exceptional. Um, like, I mean, that they may even be listening to this, like that, that's what they do as bands. So we also like it kind of, I said, we're talking about the beginning with priorities, like, you know, it has to become a priority, but everybody's trying to balance their work and their family and everything else that they're doing. So being respectful of that and not making it, because that was part of the issues we had personally sometimes with people being resent, like I myself being resentful that other people were putting their lives before the band 
while I was putting everything, um, the band before everything. So that was, I'm trying not to get to that place again. If it's ready, it's ready. And when it's not ready, it's not ready. If it comes out, it comes out. If people want to listen, great. If they don't, then I don't really care. So it's kind of, <laughs> we're going to do what we're going to do. But I have my own personal piece of like, you know, that, that self-doubt and not knowing if it's good enough. And I think we, I just actually worked on tracking some demos of um, the vocals on a song yesterday that I'm feeling pretty good about. I'm hoping that we can get something out. But we just had, uh, with Victory being bought, I don't know if Victory, we still technically would like to put stuff out with them, but they're no longer a label. Do we want to be on a label in this day and age? Can you just put it all out yourself digitally? Of course, you know, there's there's a lot of options. Um, I just don't know what people want to do with a band that only wants to play shows a couple times a year. We definitely don't want to tour, um, being that it, it kind of, if you took all of your vacation time to go tour, you have no vacation time left for your family. That's not the best move either. No. And I think, I think you're right though. You know, the landscape of the industry is a lot different now. You can do things without label backing. Um, you're also not got label pressure, um, because, um, have you guys ever experienced with victory that apart from the backing or the, the push, did they ever try and push you into a different musical direction? Do they ever say, you know, we really think you should be doing X, Y, Z instead of what you're doing. Uh, at the end, they wanted more breakdowns on the music. <laughs> I remember them saying that. Um, so I remember the, there was, what was going to be album number five, was this was going to be the most tongue-in-cheek way to respond to that, but we were going to write an album of 100 breakdowns that were all a minute long um, <laughs> and then just put put out an album called Breakdowns that just is 100 breakdowns on it and then just say, like, we don't have to ever write another breakdown because we wrote all the breakdowns already. So, like, that was that was the way we were going to finish our victory career, but we broke up instead. But that, you know, would have, would have been, I think, pretty funny. But that was also, like... You know, if a song calls for it, a song calls for it. It doesn't necessarily have to be there. Um, at that time, too, there was a lot of violence happening in the States uh, during shows. And there were, there were crews and, and people that were, you know, uh, holding extortion over other people. And violence during those parts of songs was getting to the place that I, I didn't want to participate in it. Um, and that was something that was I was struggling with, being like, there are people literally almost dying while we're playing and I don't know if it's because we're playing or if we're just writing our music and people are going to react the way they react. Um, I, I, there was a part of me that really was a little bit sickened by seeing some of like you know what was happening in that regard. But I just wish people could mosh and do what they want to do. If you want to beat each other up, great. But there's no reason to, to swing your fist like five rows in the back and punch a girl that's just trying to stand there and watch the show in the face. Um, chaos. which you know like the crowd killing thing that with people jumping over and just punching all the way behind the wall of the pit um it was it was just i couldn't i couldn't be okay with that anymore um so i i don't know they're musically i i like breakdowns a lot they make me happy i when i hear them it's like that sing-along part that's the part that gets you amped it makes you want to you know jump up and like pound the steering wheel while you're driving or whatever but there is like a uh a piece that unless it fits into the song, then don't just do it for the sake of doing it. I wish, I wish we got that hundred breakdowns album. Oh, that would have just been, <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many songs you would have been able to have to do, but just a, like everyone listening, just imagine that like a song goes for a minute and a half and it's just like four breakdowns. Like that would have been pretty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> just, just, but like putting breakdowns, so many breakdowns that you get sick of listening to breakdowns. You know, like that, that's the point. It's like, this, okay, this isn't, you are going to get sick of this at some point. It's too many. Yeah, but then you could tip your hat and say Dead to Fall killed the breakdown because you'd done that many breakdowns. Like that, yeah, that was that was going to be the point, but yeah, the the the, the Logan, Chad, Tim, Phil quadrant of humor, those four guys that were doing the the, the Are You Serious album with me, um, those dudes and the level of inside jokes that they could take, uh, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, I've I've they're they're pretty funny dudes and they're definitely all out there. Um, wanted to before we wrap things up, ask kind of one or two questions with a bit of your insight and opinions on things and one is we've touched loosely on it is the record industry um or the metal industry and how different it is now for bands compared to when you and i grew up um the landscape's different now it's not a lot of it is about how many physical copies you sell a lot of it's about your streaming numbers um, and also the other side of that, which you touched on, is now music is so accessible that in many ways a lot of music gets lost in the shuffle. With the industry and all of its changes, do you think we're at an exciting time for heavy music, or do you think we're at quite a challenging stage and we haven't figured out all the nooks and crannies yet? Well, I mean, this is this is going to be the pushing 40 perspective. Um I, I love the uh, amount of quality of music that's coming out. I think it's like the, the bands, you could just dive down wormholes on Spotify and just find a thousand bands that just are very, very good to listen to. Um, that's amazing. I'm, I, I'm just grateful for not having to search for music anymore. I think that the, the bedroom bands with the completely polished, overproduced sounds are going to take things where an organic real band hopefully is valued a little more like i know you go see a show and it's okay how much of this band is actually playing right now they have a backing track the drummer's playing to a click none of them have amps on the stage they're just you know there's like there's a light show that's all plugged in and set up to the clock that the drummer's playing the pr- the product you're seeing is so polished and clean but it's not it doesn't seem real mm. um and and that I, I guess that might be more of the metal side that that's okay. And it's the hardcore side of me that feels like there's come on, man, like just play your guitar and plug it in. It's not that hard. Um, or just scream into the microphone. Like I'm granted, you're not ever going to be able to fake, um, screaming, but I mean, there's, there's probably people who put effects on their vocals to make it sound like it's more heavy than it is. Um, and I, I go back and forth on this, but I, I hope that, and my, 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 thought on this is that i hope that a uh a real organic product of people playing music together and coming from a place where they they believe in it and it has heart will carry over and matter more in the long run than just some sort of contrived product to try to make money Mm. um i've always had issues with the pay for play like you got to buy yourself on a tour or like this band has to sell this many tickets to be able to play the show kind of thing um it's I, I just like the the money in music. It's a necessary thing. You you know like you, want, you would like to be able to afford to play the music that you're playing, but the 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 corporate side of it, um, especially where it's gone to in heavy music now, it's it's just the, like there's no difference between that and going to see Ariana Grande sometimes. And the rards are like, you, there's a band with a backing track. Like, how many of those guitars are actually being played right now? Like, when when is this just karaoke? 
as opposed to like seeing a band live, which, you know, I, I don't know. I, there, that's, that's a question I think everybody has to ask themselves. Like, is, am I okay with karaoke? Am I okay with just seeing the band playing half the instruments on the stage? Um, what, what's the, what, what are my thoughts on what is art and what is music? And does it really matter to me? Or am I just here to see a good show and let off some steam? Um, so I think I have an artist perspective, I have a musician perspective, and I have an old man perspective. So it's it's not necessarily that my voice is all that important as to what I think anyway. Well, I think I think you're re- what you said about the backing tracks, I think is really quite, for me, I also agree. I think it's disgusting because part of what's exciting about seeing a band live is those imperfections from what's on the record, those slight differences, those right. slight mistakes, that slight up, you know, up tempo or down tempo of a song. That's what makes it exciting. That's what makes you want to go see it live. If you want to just hear it as it is on CD, just sit at home and play the CD. Like, there's no need to go to the live show. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like there. That's so. What, what's what's the difference now between listening to the track that's already been pre-recorded or play, like seeing it for real? Um, I saw we played a festival with Bleeding Through just mm. recently, and like that that band has samples and they have a keyboard player, but they didn't have any racks. They didn't try. They just borrowed cabs from like the venue and put their heads on it and just plugged in and played. And I was like, that was a band I was expecting to have backing tracks and didn't. And I was just like, yes, this is tight. I think they may have played to a click. I can't remember if they did or they didn't, but it felt it still felt raw and real and different than the album smelt. Um, and I, 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 I've always loved bleeding through. So that was that was really good to see, and I was happy to see that. I got a lot of respect for those guys. Yeah, they're they're OGs. Another favorite of mine as well. I agree. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask before we look to wrap things up is, you know, you mentioned that you know you guys were too hardcore for metal bands, too metal for hardcore bands. Um, and I find that quite interesting because you guys were a kind of a band that you would have dealt with a lot of assholes, and assholes is another way of saying elitists um, or dickheads probably is another way of saying it as well. Um, what was that like? Did you experience a lot of negativity um, and a lot of people that just wouldn't give you a go based off their friend's opinion on how you were, or was it something you never really came across? Oh, we definitely came across it. I think more in the earlier days. I think after two albums, it was kind of just like you either like us or you don't. We got two albums out. Um, you know, we we're working on third and fourth album at that point. People like us are going to like us, but we did tours. We would tour with anybody and play any show. We toured with Kitty, which that was actually Ooh. probably one of the most welcoming tours we ever did. Um, those fans were like, "Dude, you guys are heavy as shit." Um, while you might do a tour, um, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily name the bands, but we do some of the tours that just felt like we weren't cool enough. You know, I kind of always thought that like, we just, we never really fit into any mold or like seemed like we were the cool guys where it was kind of like, all right, we feel like the dorks no matter where we are. Um, but it was a, uh, it kind of just that, that ingrained us in ourselves. Like we just hang out with each other and we were fine with that. And like, especially doing the, the first two or three years of touring, being able to uh, to play the shows in like local markets where you're staying at somebody's house and you just you met three or four bands that played it. You're the only touring band, and you know everybody's there to kind of see you and see their friends' bands. That was a uh, I felt like that was a more real way to play shows than like you're on a touring package and everyone isn't even from the city that's on stage. It's all out of town bands, and they're all trying to sell merch and they're all trying to connect with the fans. But it's it's there's more of a separation. Um, so I was grateful for those early years, even though it was harder, it was definitely, I think what helped us later. And like you said, the, 
people that like us, they still like us. And we, there was definitely a lot of flash in the pan bands that were bigger than we were. Um, but I can, I, I, you want to hear the list of bands we took out on tours? Oh yeah. I've, I've gone through these a couple of times. So one of the first tours of the following bands were Suicide Silence. Uh, we toured with the Trey U. They were headlining over us at that point, but they were a big one. Uh, the biggest one was A Day to Remember. We Whoa. took out on a tour. Um, Born of Osiris. Uh, we definitely had Bale of Maya open for us. But like these bands were, you know, like the bands that we took out on some of their first shows and first tours. Um, and then they would end up getting bigger and then would not ask us to play shows with them. Mm. Um, and, but that's the business side of it. It's like the manager wants to talk to another manager and we never had a manager. I always just managed the band. Like I don't, I'm not going to pay somebody 10% of what we make to just make deals for us. Like that's just dumb. Um, and I, that was the punk side of me that was like, we're going to do it ourselves. <laughs> um, and I think at one point, um, I, I, there was a brief tiny moment that uh, Howard from Killswitch wanted to manage us and we met with him and I think we just it never really panned out from there but that was the extent of like management and like I said Victory wasn't necessarily we weren't their number one priority they still you know fulfilled all their obligations and, and did everything they said they were going to do for us but didn't necessarily uh, make us the number one thing they were going to make big um, so I mean there's like this you know I think about those things and like but at the same time, that's just cool to be able to say, like, yeah, Data Remember toured with us, like, way back in the day when we were nobodies, and they were opening the tour, um, and, you know, that band is humongous, and, I mean, I'm still friends with a couple of the dudes, uh, I think I went to see them maybe seven or eight years ago on a Wolf tour and hung out on their bus, and they were still super chill, and I'm not saying anything bad about them, it's just kind of like, it's interesting to take bands out when you're this road dog band i think that was where we were at the end of the career we're this weathered band that had always toured and people could just send their new band out with us and then that was the reason we existed what about have you ever thought um or been approached or are you a fan of or not a fan of of these anniversary show tour packages that seem to go along you know was there ever been the thought of doing doing one of those well i mean we did we did villainy virtue it wasn't an anniversary i think it was like i don't know we never did like 10 or 15 we we're like this is the 13th anniversary but like when victory put the vinyl out for villainy we played the entire album front to back and we did the same thing with everything i touch um and we got offered a tour i think it was like an unearth tour recently that we just were like we can't do that like we can't go on tour we we're really really grateful that we would be offered that that's awesome but we can't go out for two weeks right now like that's just not possible um, so we did like, there was a festival we did with misery signals in, um, in Iowa and like doing stuff like that, like one-offs, like festivals or just little shows that we can do. Um, honestly, I'd, I'd rather save some of our, our sick time to be able to get to Australia, uh, which we never were able to do or to go to Europe again and, and play shows over there and do things that we might not necessarily get to do. And then do festivals in the States to, to hit areas that, people if they want to see us they can drive a couple hours you know we're not going to come back for another couple years so um but it's you know I, at the same time if we never play another show besides chicago or milwaukee or or tampa where i live then that's cool too like it's it's not necessarily um touring is the focus at this point instead i just want to hang out with my friends yeah hey, fuck you yeah. i don't get to see them most of the time so it's it's pretty tight being able to get those opportunities because you get, you get paid enough money for a festival to pay for all the plane tickets. So like three of the guys live in Chicago, one guy lives in Atlanta and I live in Tampa and we just all fly out and we'll practice for a couple of weekends. Um, Justin and I will go to Chicago and practice 
for a couple weekends. We're about to announce a show we're doing in February. Um, we did it in 2018, and it's all like friends of ours bands, and we just called it Dad's Night Out. So like you know, every dad get your get your wife to watch the kids and come hang out and get drunk with your your dad friends. <laughs> so we're gonna do Dad's Night Out too. And those the first one was in in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So this one's gonna be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is about like two three hours from Chicago. Um, it's kind of like the same area that those three guys still live. So we uh, I this is a I can tell you the aside, but I've gone on this vacation every year for ten years. It's called the Great Feral Escape. And it's like twenty five guys that used to play in bands. Uh, from New York, California, Chicago, and, and Milwaukee, and Iowa. And we go to different parts of the United States and, like, hang out in the mountains for a week and, and turn our phones off and just chill with each other like we used to. Um, so these shows, these Dad's Night Out shows, are bands that are members of that vacation most of the time. Ooh. Fuck yeah. So, uh, do you know the band Knaves? Have you heard of them from Milwaukee? I've heard of them. Um, they were, they, I haven't heard much they of were, them. Um, they're, just, they're a new band, but it's members of... Um, Amora Savant, which was a band from Milwaukee that we used to play with a lot. Um, but so they're going to play that that show, and we're still not sure who the other bands are. And once we figure that out, we're going to announce it. But we're going to put it on the uh, February 29th, Saturday, because Ooh. that's like, you know, that February 29th, nobody made plans for February 29th. You didn't even know there was going to be one this year, next year. So <laughs> you better come out. That's the way we're doing it. But, you know, if this is hopefully getting a lot of people in Australia listening to it, I do want to throw that out there that we never got to go, and I really, 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 really want to go. Well, I know, I know, some of our passionate listeners are people who either book shows or are connected to book shows in our very wide land of Australia. We also get a lot of listeners from Canada. <laughs> we get a lot of listeners from America and spots in Europe, but especially Australians. Anyone listening, awesome. um, let's. You know, think about things. What about um, a Dead to Fall tour? I know I will be getting front spot for every show. Um, I am like a fiend. I haven't seen it. I need it. Um, so I'm talking to you, Ash. I'm talking to you, um, Rick, all of those guys. Get Dead to Fall down here. We need Let's it. Let's make it happen. Let's um, make it happen. The also, the other thing is bring this music. Whenever it hits, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm keen. Stoked. Finally, whenever it hits. Well, we'll definitely, we'll definitely, I think the idea at some point had been, so there's different ways we've thought about it, is either doing a whole album, but it seems like even my own taste in music at this point, when I consume a new album, I consume like a song or two at a time. So I almost like when bands release it, like if it was a seven inch, like two or three songs and then another two or three songs and then release the whole album. So, I mean, there is some thought of, like, when we feel like a couple songs already, hitting the studio and putting it out, maybe doing it on a record. Because um, I don't even know if any... I can't remember the last time I bought a CD, and I don't know who if anybody buys CDs anymore. So we've talked about, like, if you're going to do a tangible physical copy, just having it be vinyl, and everything everything else is just, like, digital. Mm. Um, having some name recognition, being able to do it ourselves is a possibility. And, you know, maybe there's a label interested down the line. Uh, that's, that's another possibility. The, the label we worked with our entire career is no longer a label. So it is uh, interesting what that's going to mean. Um, that just happened. Victory got bought last week, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I don't know what that means for any, like, a band that, you know, isn't a real band that kind of is a real band that hasn't put out an album in a decade. But we're taking our time with it. I'm, I'm feeling good about a couple songs. And, uh, you know, it's one, one of the songs definitely has some Florida feel to it. I'm writing about a... Um, hey, oh, you can tell me this. Is there a Sasquatch legend in Australia? Uh, no, but we've got a um, we've got a tiger 
what do you call it, or a leopard um, kind of beast in Melbourne down south. There's a you know apparent sightings of a wild, ferocious cat that roams around and kills other cats and dogs. Okay, so it's like the chupacabra kind of thing from Mexico. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like every culture has these legends, right? And in Florida, there is the skunk ape, which is the um, it's a smaller Bigfoot that lives in the Mayaca Swamp. Um, so I've written a song about uh, wanting to become the skunk ape and disappear into the swamp and go hang out in the woods. Because uh, every now and then, like I feel like I just want to turn everything off and just go hang out in the woods and live by myself. Um, so that, that is, and I think everybody kind of gets those moments sometimes. Um, so there, there's a song from the perspective of what if you were to do that and then you became the skunk ape. Oh, fuck yeah. Toying around with the title. It might, it might be skunk ape. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, Call it skunk ape. Skunk ape's a pretty good song title. I think we just decided that'll be the song title. Yeah. Done. Um, now John, it's come to the end of the show. So what we do as to wrap things up. Everyone is going to learn what really makes you tick. So we do a quick fire round. You get two options. Right. You pick your favorite of the two. Now, you can justify your answer or not, or you can just quick fire and just name off your favorite and then just deal with the consequences later. All right? All right. Let's let it rip. All right. Would you rather a pizza or a burger? Pizza. Okay, would you rather chicken or beef? Damn, you got me on that one, but I think I'm going to go chicken. Would you rather a soft... It depends how it's cooked. It really does, but I'll go chicken. Would you rather a soft taco or a hard taco? Soft taco, because it's just, I mean, a crumbly hard taco. A soft ta- hard taco was always at some point a soft taco, but a soft, soft taco has never been a hard taco. Mm, good answer. Um... Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth all day long. It's just crunchy is just weird. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee daily, multiple cups, talking five to eight. <laughs> um, cooking at home or dining out? Uh, cooking at home. I mean, that's the the best. That's I I live in a restaurant. My wife is one of the greatest cooks that's ever lived on this planet. So I'm saying cooking at home. Uh, see a movie at the cinema or watch it from your couch? Well, uh, it's harder to get shot in this in your couch, so I'm going to say couch. Would you rather go to the beach or go to the snow? I live in Florida, so I'm on beach. Yeah. Um, are you a cat or a dog person? My dog major would be so bummed if I said cat person. I've been a dog person my whole life. Yeah, buddy. Um, Terminator or Predator? Terminator. Okay. I mean, yeah, Terminator. But which Terminator? There's so many different Terminators. So, I mean, you can, as long as it's Arnold, it's all I'm really concerned about. Okay. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. Freddy or Jason? Um, I think Freddy. I don't really have much opinion one way or the other. I never really got all that way into either one, but I go Freddy. South Park or Simpsons? Simpsons, undoubtedly. So much more of my vernacular and daily dialogue is Simpsons-based. <laughs> uh, Slayer or Pantera? Fuck. You're going to ask me between the two bands that Nazis like that I also like. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the bummer one. But I have a Pantera tattoo, so I'm going Cowboys from Hell. Okay. Um, anthrax or Testament? <sighs> anthrax. Okay. That's a tough one. Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Man. Apples and oranges. I'm, I can't, Converge is Converge. I mean, it's, you can't. It's Converge versus everyone. Uh, Terra or Madball? Terror, yes, 100%. Scott Vogel, Buried Alive would play Chicago all the time. Scott Vogel's my dude. Like, that is, that is, I want to beat him when I grow up. Maximum fucking output. Fuck yes. That is the best thing you have actually said. I 400% agree with that. Like, yeah, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with fucking Terror. All-time favorite band right there for me. Um, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Ooh, Black Dahlia Murder. Those are my boys. That band, that band is, all right, I, I'm going to do a very quick aside on this. Mm. There is not a band that has put out more consistent music and thrashing ridiculously good albums one after the other. Of, of like, my last 20 years, there's not a bit. They don't have a bad album. That band is sick upon all sickness. I love the Black Dye Murder. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, and I'm from Tampa, so I gotta, I'm still going to beat him. Okay, we've got a couple left. If you're playing a show, do you right. want to see stage dives going on or mic grabs? Uh, I'm going stage dives with a mic grab. But I will go stage dives if I have to pick one or the other because it sucks sometimes when the mic gets pulled down in the crowd and then the cable gets tangled around someone you can't get it back. <laughs> I'd rather see people getting flattened. Uh, when you go to a show, do you watch it from the mosh pit or up the back by the sound desk? Depends who it is, but most of the time, the best spot to see any show is directly in front of the sound desk because that's what the sound engineer hears. So that's what where you can hear the best. And I'm old, so it has to be like the band that makes me want to punch things. Uh, <laughs> the Hatebreed 20th Anniversary Tour. There was no place besides the mosh pit I was going to be. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? I don't think either one sounds good for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going recording. I mean, you can do so much more than you can do touring. Touring is a whole bunch of hurry up and wait to, to make music for an hour. Recording, I could be doing something all day long. And the last one, if you had your all-time favorite album available to you, would you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? I would just want it playing hey. all the time. Um, uh, I would probably go vinyl. There's something about the, uh, the other ones are digital representations and vinyl is an actual analog version of the music, the way it was recorded. So I'm gonna go with the audio file response vinyl. John, we have fucking smashed that chat, dude. Thank you so very much, man. Really, really, really appreciate it. No, it's awesome. Thanks for uh, still giving a shit. Man, I've been giving a shit since 2002, I think, when I first heard you guys, the first album. That's outstanding. That rules. Much appreciated. That, that, um, like, I really need to take more time to do this, but I do try to take a side when talking to people like yourself that still care about the band and have cared about the band the entire time. And remembering that, it's, uh, it's a pretty profound feeling that people care about what you're doing because sometimes I forget about that. But it's, uh, it's pretty cool, man. You're on the other side of the planet, so it rules. Yeah, again, much love, much respect, much appreciated, man. Hell yeah, man. Talk to you soon. All right, talk soon. 
So that was my chat with John of Dead to Fall, and at the end there you heard the band's track, Eternal Gates of Hell, which is from their album Everything I Touch Falls to Pieces. You also heard the band's track, My Heroes Have Failed Me, which is from their album The Phoenix Throne. And the last song you heard there is called Major Rager, which is from their last and most recent album called Are You Serious? Now's the moment I'm going to spark that interest, spark that little thought in your head that if you enjoyed the conversation with John, if you enjoyed the music at the end there, and you have or haven't discovered Dead to Fall, now is your chance. So jump onto your streaming or downloading services and delve into this discography. You will not be disappointed. If you like a physical copy, jump on eBay. I'm sure you can find a copy there. And when they release new music, make sure you get behind that too. Also going to take this moment again to thank John. Thank you so very, very much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. I look forward to touching base and doing a part two when you release new music. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 91 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.